Good morning. Welcome to Southside today. We're delighted to see you. Uh, those of you who were here last Sunday will probably have a notion of what these cards are all about. Um, they're about that wall, and Aaron's going to explain that a little bit later to us so we can get involved in this really great project. Um, on the back walls today, you'll see that there's a change up on the, the plans that are there. Um, we now have the actual legit um, building plans for the main floor and for the second floor. Um, one little change has happened this week, which is interesting, which is that um, what's called the new boys' washroom and what's called the new girls' washroom, they've been flipped. So I, I think we probably better get that right in our heads now because later on it's going to be awfully embarrassing if we say, yeah, well, the wall said that this was the boys. Well, for some reason, it's the other way around. And all of the demolition is over, and so it's exciting to go there now. And the walls are going up, and there are people working feverishly, uh, rebuilding the shaft for the elevator. Um, and it's just, it is moving along tremendously well, so it's exciting. Um, if you're ever walking by there, they're not awfully fussy, and if there's anybody in there, it's okay just to step in and have a peek. Uh, they won't make you put a uh, white hat on and hard toes, shoes and stuff like that, but uh, it's exciting and we're looking forward to what's going to go on there. Last week we talked to you just briefly about Youth Alpha. Um, it's starting this week, so I'm just going to ask us to have a look again at this promo. And if you are a high schooler or know a high schooler who would like to be part of this, it is a joint effort of the youth ministries in Milton, and they're expecting over 100 kids to participate in Youth Alpha over at the new location for Milton Bible Church on Chisholm, which used to be Teatro. So if that doesn't confuse you, uh, we'll, we'll try to confuse you with the sermon later on. Here's the video. If anyone has the spiritual gift of lip reading, just go ahead and talk. Every time Rob shows up, I just go,
Well, good morning, everyone. And we're going to ask you to please stand to your feet as we sing this morning together. And um, <clears throat> we're going to start this morning with an oldie but a goodie. <laughs> this one kind of has sentimental feelings for me as my dad used to be the one who would bring out the guitar and do, do the rounds of all the Sunday school rooms. And this is one of those songs that we sang. And then we sang it around the campfire at one of my beloved camps that I went to all through high school. So I love this song, but it's so simple but has such a strong message. And I love starting off the year with it because it's that rededication. I have decided to follow Jesus. Though none go with me, still I will follow. The world behind me, the cross before me. And so uh, let's sing these words together, shall we? decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, though none go with me, still I will follow.
the cross before me. No turning back. No turning back. Amen. Oh 
is our yes and amen faithful You are worthy, you are worthy, 
opportunity to remind you that we have a, a very special worship project that we're beginning today. Um, over here you'll see 10,000 reasons for my heart to find and underneath if you can't read it from where you're sitting it says celebrating three decades of God's faithful presence. So what we're going to do um, <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, after we are done taking up the offering, we're gonna you're gonna hear the band just play uh, for however long it takes. But in front of you on your tables, everybody should have a stack of cards and some pens, and we're just going to begin today to start writing down. Um, our memories of God's faithfulness to us as a church. So however long you've been here, some of you have been here for most of those three decades, and some have just joined us in the last few years, or even in this past year, or maybe this is your first week. But what we're going to do is just um, take that song, 10,000 Reasons, that have, has kind of become a theme for us here, um, an anthem for us, if you will. And we're going to literally do just that. We're going to write down those things that come to mind um, that remind us of God's faithfulness. So I'm just going to throw out some ideas. Maybe even as I'm speaking, something comes to mind. You can begin to write. And um, as many memories that come to mind, you may write on a card. So don't feel like you're limited to one or two or five or ten. As God keeps bringing you these memories back, write them down, one memory per card, if you will. And up here at the table, there's um, a little bowl of pins, so just take a pin, stick it right in between those words. There, we've already got a few pictures from this morning, so it's already begun with four. So we have a long way to go to 10,000, but... Um, of course, God's blessing and God's faithfulness to us is unlimited, right? So, um, so we're going to take that time. So right now we're going to have Mary pray for the offering. And as the kids go off, the kids are going to have an opportunity as well to join us on this project. So Anne and all of um, the other leaders are going to be teaching them a little bit about that in the coming weeks. And they're going to have a special opportunity as well to join our 10,000 Reasons Memory Wall. Um, so as the kids go, and after you've, take, you've uh, given your offerings, we're just going to spend a few minutes just thinking, writing some memories. Um, in the next coming weeks, we're going to continue this. So if you have pictures at home or um, 
during your prayer time with the Lord, if he brings things to memory, start writing at home so that you can come and pin those too. If you know anybody who, um, <clears throat> who had, what once was a part of us but has moved away and you think they might like to take part, um, you know, shoot them an email. We're going to be putting up um, some posters on Facebook and such to pass around so you can share those around as well when you see them come up on your feed. And let's just together as a church um, honor the Lord um, and as our act of worship in these next few few weeks, uh, let's together remind each other of God's faithfulness to us um, by uh, compiling this memory wall. Um, I think that's that's it for now. So um, after um, Mary prays for us this morning, you can get started, and um, yeah, we'll go from there. Join me, please, as we uh, say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. Don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. The kingdom, the power, and the glory belong to you forever. Amen. And we'll just continue in prayer together. Heavenly Father, we gather here this morning to lift up your name in praise and to worship you. We declare with David, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord is righteous in all his ways. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. We are here this morning to celebrate your goodness to us, Lord. We thank you for each and every blessing in our lives this past week alone, for your protection, for your provision, for your healing touch. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us as a church family, for the unity we feel, for the fresh start we anticipate in a new building, for the friendships we enjoy here. We receive these good gifts from your hand because every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. We are here this morning to support one another through difficult times. Help us to bring encouragement and comfort as you do, for you are the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we have received from you. We are here this morning to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world many who are in hardship and physical danger. We ask for your mercy on them, that they might be assured that you see them and you are with them. We pray for our leaders here, our pastor, our elders, our mayor and council here in Milton, for those in Queens Park and in Ottawa. Lord, they need your wisdom to govern well and we pray for them to seek your wisdom, which you promise to give generously. 
We ask a special blessing on Ian now as he brings us your truth this morning. We ask a blessing on the children and their teachers as they share your word together. Please bless our offerings now and multiply them for your kingdom. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So if the ushers could please come, not forward, I guess, go around and take the um, offering. And then the children could be taken to the back door where Anne and Ranza are. Thank you very much. So as you get started writing your memories on those cards, <clears throat> I'm just going to shout out some ideas to get the ball rolling. So I'm thinking of uh, memories like uh, baptism dates. Were you baptized here or you know somebody who was baptized here? How about, um, did you come to know the Lord here? Did you make that first commitment to the Lord? Or did you rededicate yourself to the Lord here at Southside? Um, or do you have a friend um, that came to know the Lord here? Um, how about uh, when your babies were born? Did you have any babies born here or dedicated here? Um, weddings, let's say. Anniversaries, anniversary parties that happened here. I can remember a few of those. Um, how about somebody prayed for you and God answered that prayer? Um, how about God prayed for, um, somebody prayed and asked God for healing and you were healed? Um, how about uh, an act of kindness that happened uh, through somebody here at the church? Um, how about the Lord really spoke to you through uh, a sermon on a particular topic on a particular day and God really met you in the moment and had something to say about a, a revelation of God that happened to you here? How about just a really special moment of worship that you can remember clearly? How about a song that God um, used in a special way, a lyric of a song that keeps coming back to you? Um, <clears throat> you know, even those hard those hard moments that we've had, the, the, the valley moments, but God used them. How about people that we lost over the years that we want to remember? Um, uh, lots and lots of memories, lots and lots of things. They don't have to be mind-blowing or epic. They could be the smallest of things because I believe that God builds his church even in those small little ways, right? So as the band continues to play, if you're finished, please stand and go over to the wall. You'll see the little thumbtacks over there in a bowl and, and tack them up there. And, um, and let's do this as, a, an, as an act of worship and thanking God. And um, also on the other side, too, you'll see the heading there, prayers for our future. Likewise, if God has uh, put something on your heart that you've been praying for, for our future, um, write those things as well. And uh, we'll share those things together and pray for those things together. All right. So as long as it takes this morning, that's okay. Um, if you have a few that you're right ready to do, go, go pin them. Um, might take some people a little bit longer, and that's okay too. We're just going to keep playing. And when we come back together, we're going to sing uh, the chorus of 10,000 Reasons together. So let's do this.
So by all means, if you're still working, keep writing those memories. And we're going to continue this project through all of the weeks leading up to our move. So um, even if you want to, you're welcome to pin at any time whenever you're here at the church, even at the end of the service, uh, whenever you get the time. So please do continue to ask God for those memories. I think it's so important that we're sharing together what God has done. And, um, and that's a really special thing that we can do as a family. And even for those who are new walking in the doors of our church in the next weeks, uh, what a blessing for them to be able to see what God has done here. So let's share, them, share that with them as well. So I'm just going to invite you to sing this, uh, this chorus with us. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Worship his holy name. Let's sing together. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O my soul. Worship His holy name, sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship your holy name. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His I counted about 60 cards up there, so how many is that left to go to get to 10,000? So I have some work to do, right? But there are more than 10,000 reasons, aren't there? So we should be able to come up with at least 10,000 that uh, talk about God's faithfulness to us. So last week we began um, what's going to be our, our kind of closing teaching series here on dairy, um, which is really about the question, what is it that makes us, us? Um, we are a church like many, many, many other churches. We do a lot of the things that other churches do. We believe uh, in common with tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of churches. Um, but what makes us, us, is an important question. Um, I, I grew up in a bicycle family. My, my grandfather was the um, sales manager for Raleigh Bicycles for Northern Ireland. And so I always, I wanna say I always had the, the newest and the best bicycle, but that's not true because he was an Irishman, and they're cantankerous, and when 10 Speeds came out, you imagine, I can remember when 10 Speeds came out, and I told him I wanted one, and he said, nobody needs 10 Speeds, I'll give you three. So I had to ride a girl's bike, right, because that's what they were like, those butterfly handles with only three gears. All my friends had 10 Speeds. My grandfather could have brought me one home. He didn't do it. 
Um, but I did learn about truing a wheel. Um, and if you, if you try to ride a bicycle with a wheel that is out of true, it's not going to ride very well. Um, it'll just be a bit wobbly. Um, and, and it won't be very effective or efficient. So really what we're doing here is just kind of truing ourselves as we move over to 200 main, which is to say, you know, how do we align our thinking and our practice so that we can be effective? And so we began last week by talking about what is the whole backstory of who we are, um, which is our vision and then our mission that grows out of our vision. And you'll just hear me talk about this over and over and over. And to get it short into a succinct kind of a slogan, our vision is that we long for God's future in our presence. And we can play with the word presence. We could use the word present because that's exactly what we're talking about. But it's not only God's future in our present, but it's, it's actually God's future in our presence that we experience God's future. God's future is one that is full of good and beauty and happiness and joy. Everything wrong will be right. Everything broken will be fixed. Everything bad will be good. Everything will be restored. And so that is the grand vision that we have, that we long towards that. And day by day, with the events of our world and the challenges of our lives, um, we, we, I think, long more and more that that could be here already. So that's our vision, and we envision a world, we envision a town, we envision a church, we envision families, we envision relationships where God's kingdom is present, where God's future is actually in our presence, um, and that, that's what we long for. Now, the mission that we have comes clearly out of that, and it is very simply the same thing except changing a preposition. God's future in our presence becomes God's future by our presence. Our calling is to welcome the presence of God, is to welcome the future of God, is to welcome the kingdom of God into our present and our presence and the presence of our friends and world. So we live day by day wondering how God's future would invade this present, our presence day by day and so on. And it becomes then something that motivates us, something that trues us that we can move forward aggressively on, on a track. So God's future in our presence is our grand vision. And God's future by our presence is our job. That's what we're here to do. When we move to 200 Maine, we want to freshen up our commitment to that. And we want to be in Milton, God's presence in the downtown. And we want to be pretty overt about that. We want to talk about the idea that Milton wants to be revitalized. Well, we're into that. And we want to be at the heart of that revitalization in a spiritual way. That we would love to be the chaplains downtown. We would love to be the place that people hang out and have good conversations downtown on Main Street. So moving from there, we're going to do a little travel now around the walls of this building. And we're going to have a look at the life shapes, those um, various geometric forms that are on the wall around us, um, because they become kind of the activities of a community of believers longing for God's future and wanting to be the presence of God for his kingdom to arrive. What do you do 
to be that kind of people? What do you do to keep that fresh? What do you do to have strategies that come out of that? And we feel like these shapes talk about how we should follow Jesus and the best ways, the sort of like best practice about um, the mission that we are undertaking, which is to be um, those who welcome God's presence by our presence among our, our friends and, and colleagues and so on. So the very first one is a circle. And I'm gonna read you a Bible passage by drawing you a picture. So there's the circle, the infamous circle that's on the wall. And the Bible story that I wanna to read to you by drawing a picture, so wish me luck here, is from Mark chapter one. Now Mark is probably in some ways the key gospel message. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that we call the gospels. Um, we call Matthew, Mark, and Luke the synoptic gospels, if you're interested. And then John is a different kind of gospel. John is one that is deliberately a theology of Jesus, whereas Matthew, Mark, and Luke propose to tell us the story of Jesus. What did he do? What did he say? What did other people do? And, and all of that. John is the one who says, I want to tell you what all of that means. In fact, John kind of interprets the rest of the Gospels. Mark is often called Q or Kel, um, which is a translation of the word source. And what that means is, it is often thought by scholars that other gospel writers used Mark as their resource. That Mark would have had sort of the authoritative earliest account, earliest record of Jesus' life. And when Matthew and Luke were writing their account, they seemed to draw from Mark. And so we see just in the way that the narrative plays out and so on, um, that that may well be the truth, that Mark is kind of the authoritative gospel. All four are authoritative, but all four have kind of different purposes. And that sort of brings us to Mark to say, okay, that, that would be a good one to use to sort of make sure we kind of get the story that the gospels are trying to tell us. So in Mark chapter one, um, here's the story that Mark tells us. He says that when Jesus came, he said, repent and believe because the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe because the kingdom of God is near. We talked about that last week. So repent and believe because the kingdom is near and we will use the circle to represent the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God represented here by the circle. There you go. This is so bad. I mean, that doesn't even look like a V, never mind a K. So I won't try to do it. There, more like a K. Here's what Mark says when he tells us that Jesus said that. He said, Jesus came and he said, repent and believe because the kingdom of God is near. And we said last week, near doesn't mean near in time. It means near in proximity. It's right there, it is right here. And so we discover that the kingdom of God arrives uniquely by the coming of Jesus. That's why the kingdom was nearby, because Jesus had come. It was not anywhere near beforehand, but it now came near because Jesus was there. Therefore, he becomes um, the inaugurator of the kingdom of God. So all of the things that we have a vision for, the grand future of God, Jesus arrived to bring that. Now, he had a big job. I mean, without being sacrilegious on this, he, he entered a broken mess of things. 
And he went about living as God in flesh to fix what we broke. And so he says, it's never been like this before, but now that I'm here, the kingdom of God is near, so repent and believe. Repent and believe the good news, the gospel news about the kingdom of God. Now Mark goes on, and whatever he's gonna say to us next is important in trying to understand the story that he wants to tell us. So here's what he goes on to say. He says, one day, Jesus was walking um, along the shores of Galilee. That's a story about Kronos, right? Kronos is time as it moves along, just the stuff that happens. So Mark says, here's the stuff that was happening. Jesus was walking along the shores of Galilee. This is right after Mark says, when Jesus arrived, he went about saying, repent and believe because the kingdom of God is nearby. Repent and believe the gospel. As he's walking along the Sea of Galilee, he comes across two fishermen called Simon and Andrew. And he starts talking to them. And he says something really, really strange to them. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, just try to imagine being a Simon or an Andrew. Because what Jesus is talking about right here is not only a chronos, but a kairos. Kairos is not just the things that happen, but it's a phenomenally important occasion. So what had just been an ordinary day of fishing for Andrew and Simon, all of a sudden became a day that changed their lives. Because they knew about this rabbi that was going around teaching. And I'm sure the scuttlebutt around the fishermen and around their nets and, and sheds and all that kind of stuff was, he's, he's a Galilean, isn't that crazy? Because nobody thinks much of us Galileans, and yet this Jesus, who seems to be a rabbi of some kind, is a Galilean. Then Jesus comes along, and his chronos becomes a kairos. Their chronos becomes a kairos, because everything is about to change for them. So follow Mark's argument. Jesus came saying, repent and believe the gospel because the kingdom of God is near. I'm it. What does that mean for a guy who's a fisherman? Well, Jesus comes along and he says, hey, you, Simon, Andrew, follow me. And right after that, he says, a few dozen yards down the shore, he also comes across James and John and says, hey, you guys, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Simon and Andrew stop casting their nets, James and John stop fixing their nets, and they all follow Jesus, and life is never the same. Why is Mark telling us this? And why does he tell it to us this way? Um, let me talk to you about sort of the notion of a call to vocational ministry, because I'm it. So um, I could turn this talk into a recruitment talk for the ministry. Whatever you are, stop being that and start being a preacher. Start being a pastor. So my, my, my call is a strange one. Usually when you're trying to get ordained, um, there's, there's a, you know, sort of a rigorous interview where somebody finally says, describe your call to ministry. And some people have amazing stories. I mean, just spectacular stories of what God did to call them into ministry. For me, um, I was just brought kicking and screaming. So my story is that um, because I came from Ireland, 
I got put ahead in school, so I was 16 years old and all finished grade 13. And I was applying and ready had been accepted to enter sciences at a couple of Ontario universities. And um, I was good to go. I mean, I was getting a two-year jump on it. And it hadn't been pretty. I mean, you should try being a, a young Irish person with a really strange accent, um, 14 years old, two years younger than everybody else in your class, coming from a stuffy grammar school. I've told you this. The teacher walks in and I stand up and everybody laughs at me and says, what an idiot kid. He talks funny. He's skinny and tiny. And the teacher comes in. He stands up. We don't respect teachers around here. What's he doing? Right. Anyway, made the best of it. I'm all good to go to... to um, University and study sciences and enter medicine. That was my whole lifelong dream. I was promised my dad I would buy him a Cadillac when I was a cardiologist. He, to this day, if he remembers, would call me on that. So one day I'm sitting in the choir beside my friend Herm. My dad's a pastor in St. Catharines. And dad starts preaching a message about the call to ministry. See, because for him, it was a spectacular thing. Right? So he talked about that and he preached on it. And as we were sitting in the choir, my friend Herm, Herm was a, a huge German guy. I mean, he was like 6'4", and just a big strapping blonde German guy. And halfway through the sermon, Herm started to shake, like tremble. And he was shaking the whole choir pew, like the pew was, and I'm going, whoo, what's going on with Herm? And then I think, I think it's what my dad's talking about somehow is getting his attention. At the end of the sermon, I mean, before the prayer was over and my dad had hardly started the altar call and Herm jumped up and he ran down, he's weeping and he falls on his face on the floor at the front of, of the sanctuary. And I'm just going, wow. And in that moment, God said to me, now you go too. And I, there haven't been a whole lot of times in my life where I can say, yeah, I know definitely God said something. That time he did, he said, you go too. And I said, no, that's for Herm. <laughs> Obviously it was Herm, not me. And, and that, just in my head, that voice kept on saying, you go too. And I fought and argued with God. And I said, I know what I'm going to do, and I don't want to go there because that means I'm going to have to change everything. I'm going to have to go to Bible school or or something, I'm not going to do it. And it was like God said, I just want to know if I want you to do it, will you do what you're told? And I thought, well, that's reasonable. So I, I walked down, I did not run down, I did not fall on my face, I have more dignity than my friend Herm. Um, but I said to God, if, if you tell me that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. From then on, um, I was just on this crazy ride of what, what that's going to look like. And it was a battle between me and God. So I, I finally said, well, okay, um, I'll, I'll do, I have time. I have a few years, so let's start something. And so I, with my friend, I said, We're, I'll go to Bible school for a year. That, that'll probably be enough. Um, so my friend Paul and I sat down and we talked about where we would go to Bible school. And obviously, it would be California or Florida, obviously. So we found this Bible school in Florida, and when we checked it all out, classes were from eight o'clock till noon, and the rest of the day was free. And it was across the street from the beach. And we thought, God is good. 
you know, so here I am. Okay, a, a year's good, so we go there. And when we get there, we should have done better research because it was, I don't know if you know of the Bob Jones school sort of tradition. Um, it, it was that kind of a place. And so as soon as we got there, there was a chapel when the rules were clearly laid out, and the rules were. We had an Olympic-sized swimming pool on campus, beautiful pool. The girls, girls could swim Tuesday afternoons, boys could swim Thursday afternoons. If the boys happened to walk past the pool while the girls were swimming, that's fine. If they stopped, they get thrown out of school. We were not allowed to go to the beach. It's nuts. We lasted almost a year. And almost at the end of a year, as I was coming to my senses, um, we went and told the president of the school we weren't going to come back. And he hit the roof because I was, I was making money to go there because I played the piano for the conference for all of the snowbirds who came down there. Um, and he was sort of saying, we have these Canadian students, we're an international school, and we told him we weren't coming back. He called the state police and said there were some Canadian students that he wanted escorted out of the state. So as the police came onto the campus on one end, we went off the campus on the other end, went and hid out in a hotel on the beach. So began my career as a pastor. <laughs> I then headed off to a school in Philadelphia because I thought, okay, I have to make sure I'm gonna be serious about this. So Philadelphia's not, who wants to live in Philadelphia? But this is a really good school academically. And I went and I enrolled there as an organ major. I do not know why. Um, but I, I entered a, a music program as an organ major, and within a week um, of going up to a musty organ um, practice place way at the top of an old building in Philadelphia, sitting in the musty, smelly, dark place practicing an organ keyboard, I said, I can't do this for the rest of my life. And I ended up switching over to pastoral studies and on and on it went. And it was like I was, I was drag kicking and screaming, and reluctantly, and I did not feel a call at any point to be a preaching pastor. I was just like, I don't know, if you really want me to do it, I, I'll do it, but I don't know what it is, I don't know what it looks like. Um, and it turned out all right, so far. Um, but we had, a, when our boys were in high school, we had a really well-known um, writer and preacher come and speak at this, the church. and. Do you know what happens when people become famous? They, be, they begin to believe their own stuff. You, you probably noticed that. Um, so they'll say something once and nobody objects to it, so they say it again and they begin to believe it. So they, they begin to use a lot of what they call hyperbola. Uh, it, it's usually properly called exaggerations or lies, but hyperbola is, is, a, is a literary and, and speaking way to describe that. In the message, he said, if you um, are a godly pastor and you have sons, they will follow you into the ministry. So I, I, was, I drove him to the airport, and my son Colin was in the back seat. Colin didn't say anything the whole way to the airport. On the way home from the airport, he said, so dad, how does it feel to be a three-time loser? So, do we not need fishermen? Is every fisherman supposed to quit and become a pastor? Do not need teachers, do not need lawyers, well, what's the point of this story? Is, it, is that what's going to happen every time Jesus encounters somebody, he's going to make them quit their job and come and be a missionary with him? 
Is that the best thing to hope for our young people? I've, I've worked for years with missions, and the, the tables have turned. When, when I was growing up, um, good Christian homes hoped for this. They hoped, first of all, that their children might be missionaries, or secondly, failing that, that they would enter the ministry. Something turned back in the 60s or the 70s, and I remember year after year recruiting missionaries for Canadian mission societies, and the biggest opposition that young people faced was their parents, who did not want them to go to the mission field. It, it all changed. So, so where are we now? Would the best thing be that everybody becomes a minister of some kind? No, because we do need fishermen. Somebody had to catch those St. Peter's fish that they're still serving when you do the bus tour up the Galilee, right? So why did Mark tell this story? Why did he tell it this way? I think what he was doing was, was taking what Jesus had said and pushing it to the extreme to make a point. The point is that when Jesus has come and the kingdom is arriving, everything changes. Everything changes. And, and, and I think we don't get that very well. We don't get it in Western evangelicalism these days because um, the church has been so welcome in the Western world that you don't have to be different and be a Christian because church is just kind of like the best version of society. And that, that's harsh in some ways, but I think we have avoided what Mark is pushing here, which is that when Jesus comes into our lives, everything has to change. I may not be called to enter ministry, um, but perhaps even my vocation has to be different. I don't know what it means to be a fisher of men. You know, it's not as though that was a really clear notion I suppose, you know, you can sort of figure out how it is. We sang it in Sunday school, right? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men, fishers of men, if, if you follow me. More emphatically, I must change in every way if the kingdom has come. So who I was and even what I did must be radically changed by the coming of the kingdom. So that means that it doesn't matter what my vocation is. Every vocation is truly a vocation. Vocation is a Latin word that means to be called. And whatever it is you do, you are called to do that. The point now is that you're called to do that as a follower of Jesus, which is always entirely different from the world's version. It's always different. So we must always be asking ourselves the question, what is the kingdom version of this? Same job, same vocation. What's different because the kingdom has come, as far as I'm concerned? What has come is that I must be Christ-like in as thorough a way as I can possibly find if I'm to be the Christian version of the job that I'm doing. A lot of times we have, we've made a dualism in the world and um, the way I was socialized is that I, I, I really felt that everybody who was not a follower of Jesus was fundamentally just a bad person. 
I, I grew up with that. You know, don't, don't be hanging out with those kids that don't go to church. They're bad kids. And the older I get, the more I look around and say, hmm, it's just not that simple anymore, is it? And whatever a person is doing vocationally, I can't just imagine that if they're in the world and by the world's values that they must not be very good um, and that they should be different from that. There are a lot of good people doing good things. And that's not my business. My business is me, that if I have come to follow Jesus, my story is like the Simon and Andrew story where Jesus showed up and he said, by the way, the kingdom of God is here. That means you have to change. And you have to keep on changing. So that's what we mean by the circle. Um, Jesus says that there need to be two things that are continually happening in your life. Um, and those two things have to do with working your way around the circle. On the one hand, what you need to do is repent. And we often think repent is this, a thing about sin, and, and it is in one way it's described in the Bible. We need to repent of our sinfulness. We need to be sorry for our sinfulness. Uh, the second thing, though, that Jesus says is that you need to believe. So one way we understand that is that we repent of our sinfulness and we believe in Jesus for salvation. Good. But it's a far bigger story than that. It's a, it's a rhythm of life when the kingdom has arrived. Because that's what Jesus associates with the kingdom coming. He says, I'm here. The kingdom has come with me. So repent and believe. The kairos has come. It's different now than it's ever been. So repent and believe the good news. Probably a way that we could describe that with more of our common language is to say, we need to live lives of unlearning and learning. So repenting is unlearning. We, we've been taught by the world, and we need to unlearn what the world has taught us. And Jesus has come and told us new things, and we need to learn those things. For the most part, studies are showing that in the Christian world, um, there's not much difference, honestly, between those who follow Jesus or say they do and those who don't. And we return to Jesus and sort of ask the question is, are we doing what we're supposed to do? I mean, this, this being Jesus' mandate right from the start where he says, I'm here, kingdom's here, repent and believe. You guys, stop fishing. What? What else are we going to do? We don't know how to do anything else. Just follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. But the rest of us, you don't have to quit being a teacher. You don't have to quit being an accountant. You don't have to quit, but you have to be a different teacher and a different accountant over and over and over if the kingdom has arrived. What is the kingdom version of me doing the job that I've been given to do? Why do I do it? And I think as we embark over on 200 Main on a study of Jesus, I think we, we need to be kind of relentless with one another and say, no, I don't think you get away with that if what Jesus said is right. Because remember that little sample of things we saw from Matthew last week? And every one of them is radical. The Sermon on the Mount is ridiculously radical. The Beatitudes. Do we live out those values of Jesus, because he said, if you follow me, you don't get away with not changing. You will be merciful. You will be a peacemaker. You will, you will be. And 
we see in the whole beginning and continuance of Christianity, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you have heard it said, but I tell you. What's he doing? He's taking us around that circle. He's saying, you can carry on on the chronos or you can get in on a kairos every moment of every day because even though you've heard it said, here's something new. So again, taking those things one by one. You've heard it said, don't commit murder. But I tell you, if you hate somebody, if you have anger, if you call your brother an idiot, boy, that was a favorite one in parenting, right? You're in danger of hellfire. You go, whoa. See, he's saying the old ways. He's not saying the old ways are wrong. He's just saying they are so terribly inadequate then we need to learn new ways. What if every single time we came across something where we had to look at ourselves and say, how do you do that? How do you live that way? And just kind of stop and say, I want to get around the circle on this. And what I found is that going around the circle isn't just a one-time affair. In most of the areas where, where I need to change in my life, it's over and over and over. They call it a slinky, right? So I need to go around the circle. I need to unlearn the things I've thought, the way I've behaved, and I need to relearn. I need to learn Jesus' way as we go forward. And it wasn't done when Jesus finished because then Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost, and when he exposes the religion of the Jews, they're cut to the heart, and they say, what are we going to do? And Peter said, hmm, I think I know the answer to this. Repent and believe. Repent and be baptized, which was to declare that you were now converting to a whole new way of life. So there you go. We have a vision, and it's a grand vision. We have a mission. But then Jesus would come along and say, but are you ready to go to school? Because what this will require of you is an entire transformation over and over and over. I drift always in my thinking and in my practice to old ways. I have to remind myself or write to myself and ask, what is the kingdom version of this? In simple things and in really complicated things. Because if Jesus has come and the kingdom has come, it's not enough to be enamored of a fantastic future or even to think kind of, you know, Lofty thoughts about being the one that brings the kingdom to other people. Jesus says, no, you have to quit fishing and follow me. You have to change everything from the inside out, from who you are, what you do, over and over and over and over again. That's how the kingdom comes. So what is it in our lives now? What is it in, in your life now? I, I just invite you to ask the question, what is the kingdom version of this? How would I behave differently if the kingdom was all around me? What would change for this person or this situation if the kingdom was all around? And then to work around the circle is, is to develop a plan for mission. Um, you may remember we, we put words around the circle where we talked about observing and reflecting and discussing, where you say, hmm, what, what's happening there? And what does the kingdom have to say about that 
and, and what could we do? And then getting around to the learning side and say we're gonna plan and we're gonna account, we're gonna say, this should be different. So here's how I'm going to change. Can you ask me next week if I've done something yet about that? And then act is that I put something in motion. So let me return to, to, to my little um, paradigm example of the two girls in rice. I mean, we walk past that shack and going through the repenting side was saying, these, these little girls have no food. And talking to one another about what, what that meant. Um, and then trying to figure out what we could do that would be different than that. And then to, to move it up into, um, why don't we talk to these church leaders? One of the village pastors surely would find a way to, to bring these little girls into his big fold of, of families. And how are we going to get some rice today? There, ha there has to be rice by the end of today or, or we're not ambassadors of Christ. Um, and then who's, who's going to hold us to account for the, the money we're going to commit to this and then we'll leave the country? Who's, how are we, we going to make sure that all happens well? And then, okay, let's, let's get that done. Because on the Kronos, we could have walked past the house and said, conditions here are abysmal, these poor little girls. But when Jesus is in the midst, he won't let you do that. And that's, that's the conundrum of, of the, the faith, is that we just can't walk past the brokenness of our world without Jesus saying, if the kingdom were here, what would that be like? And what are you going to do about it? And sometimes we have to say, I, um, I've, I'm stuck as to what I could do about it. Or, or maybe we can legitimately say, I don't think it's my calling to do this. But uh, many, many times what Jesus wants to say is, just leave those nets and come with me. And I'll show you how to fish for people. I'll show you how different it is when the kingdom has come to you. Why don't we pray? Father, as we love the image of your kingdom come, we're, we're also always troubled by our broken world and our broken lives. And we're overwhelmed many times to know what we can do about ourselves and what we can do about our, uh, our connections and, and our world. Um, but we thank you for your Holy Spirit because when, when you had said all you needed to say and were about to leave, you told your followers to stay put until your spirit arrived and filled them and empowered them. And so we know that as we move forward, um, loving your vision and knowing we're called to your mission, for the kingdom to arrive in us, for us to repent and believe, for us to, to unlearn and learn, for us to be effective for you. It will be your spirit and only your spirit who does the hard work. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you've come to sanctify us, to change us. Thank you that you've come to push forward the agenda of the kingdom and to bring on the kingdom. So, Lord, we pray that we will um, just gather our minds and our hearts together 
and in all of our situations know what we're called to. And uh, Father, may, may we be um, encouraged in our hearts by your spirit to know that there's nothing that's impossible with you. And one day we'll know that for sure. But in the meantime, Father, help us to stretch and strain for the better version of our own lives and the lives of those around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to invite you to please stand to sing this last song with us. mountaintop looking just how far we've come knowing that for every step you were with us kneeling on this battleground seeing just how much you've done knowing every victory was your power in us scars and struggles on the way but with joy our hearts can say, yes our hearts can say. And never once did we ever walk alone, and never once did you leave us on
Because you may be wondering, um, we should have been thrown out of that school in Florida. We broke all the rules that they made, so he didn't have the right reason to throw us out, but it was right that we should be thrown out, and we caught ourselves on. My friend Paul now is also a pastor, has been for all these years, and when we see each other, we sort of say, hmm, remember Trinity College a long time ago. If um, the shapes are new to you or you haven't thought about them for a while, on the website you can download a brochure that um, identifies each one of the, the shapes and puts some language around it and some scriptural passages that you might want to have a look at. Next week we'll go to the second one about fruitful living, which is maybe my favorite one. The whole notion of uh, living on the vine and working from rest instead of resting from work. Um, so that we can live lives that are just joyful and rich as we welcome the kingdom. So I encourage you to go there and have a look at it, use it while it's on there, or download it if you'd like um, to have a version for yourself. Father, we thank you um, because apart from you and your grace and mercy, there'd be no reason for us to be here today talking to one another, thinking about these things. But we pray that we will leave here knowing that we are loved by you and that you delight in us and delight in every gift that we return to you by the lives that we live, things that we do, things that we are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.